writer Ayana Howard once said, women have a unique power of being able to look at the world's problem and discover solutions that transform lives and make the world a better place. Hello everyone and welcome to Nerdy Optometrist, a podcast channel for all things optometry. This is your host, Ukti Bora. Today I'm happy to share for the first time ever on this podcast channel, we do not have one but two amazing women leaders who are going to be part of this podcast episode. Our first guest is Ms. Kristen Gross. She is an expert in elevating cause and related initiatives on a global and regional scale. As the Global Executive Director for the Vision Impact Institute, she leads a global team of experts to curate and commission evidence-based research to drive awareness about the impact of uncorrected vision and advocate for healthy vision as a global priority. She's an expert storyteller and has seen firsthand how strategic messaging cause advocacy and powerful storytelling can change the world, one life at a time. It's a pleasure to have you on this special episode of two guests. So thank you, Kristen, for joining in and a warm welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. Our second guest is Andrea Kristen Coleman. She is a global communications professional with expertise working in organizations that are improving health and the lives of women and girls. She is a global communications and awareness manager for the Vision Impact Institute, where she is responsible for telling the story and creating awareness of the work of the organization. She joined the team of Vision Impact Institute in 2017. Andrea brings significant global communications expertise to the role. Her experience working with teams in sub-Saharan Africa, Europe, Asia, and Latin America, along with the upbringing in South Africa, allows her to bring a global perspective and cultural appreciation to work. It's a pleasure to have you on this episode and a warm welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Just to, just to mention, they both are award-winning leaders and we go <laughs> directly to their work. But before I get into it, I do know that, you know, you both are not from an eye care background, like majority of my guests are. So it is really interesting to know, how did you bump into the vision care eye care segment? Kristen, I'm going to go that with you first. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, I guess my work began in 2007 as the leader of communications for Essilor of America. Um, I'd been in multiple um, other industries prior to coming to eye care. And at that point, someone told me that eye care will really get into your blood. I really wasn't sure what that meant at the time um, because I was just doing my job. And, and as a communications expert, those, those uh, um, elements are transferable. So I didn't really understand. Um, right. But as I moved to the Vision Impact Institute in 2015 and truly understood the why vision care matters, it completely answered that question for me. So 14 years later, I'm still here. I wake up each day motivated to change the way the world sees. That's awesome. And I'm so happy that, you know, you are working in a very unique uh, role of, you know, working towards the impact of vision care and uncorrected vision. So a warm welcome to the gang as all my listeners are into the vision care zone. So thank you. So Andrea, tell us your story. How did you join uh, or how did vision eye care come into your life? So I came to the Vision Impact Institute in 2017, and I'd not worked in the vision space before. I came from a communications background and worked in for-profit and then and some nonprofit um, 
organizations. And my nonprofit experience really has been focused uh, on, in the public health space. So I spent some time working on a cervical cancer program in five countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And then I also worked mm-hmm. here locally for an organization that um, was focused on prevention of um, non-communicable, de- non-communicable diseases. And um, what I learned in both of these roles that I had not really known before I came into them was that any type of health issue is does not exist on its own. So vision health um, does not exist on its own. The impacts go far beyond the, that issue. And then the solutions can be found um, in many ways beyond the issue. So um, an organization like ours working on the impact of poor vision really makes a lot of sense to me because of the mm-hmm. wide context and the wide influence that we have in coming up with um, solutions to the issue. Talking about Vision Impact Institute, as you rightly mentioned, you know, you're working at one of the most important segment of healthcare or eye care is focusing on the uncorrected vision. So, Christian, if you could share about, you know, how did it start and what's its vision? Yeah, definitely. Um, the Vision Impact Institute, if I shorten it, I'll say VII, um, was the brainchild of two brilliant people. One was my friend Kate, who was a communications expert at Essilor, and um, Hubert Sanier, who was at the time the CEO of Essilor International. Today, he's chairman of Essilor and vice chairman of Essilor Luxottica. Um, they recognized, and I think we all recognized, that there was no organization inside or outside the industry that was truly focusing on the impact of uncorrected vision and really giving vision its rightful place in um, the dialogues around socioeconomic and healthcare provision. Um, so in 2013, uh, Essilor, through its Social Impact Fund, which is a grant-making fund that monetizes programs to end poor vision, um, they, they created the Vision Impact Institute. And today, even still, it's um, funded by this organization. Um, in late 2014, the organization moved from France to Dallas, where we continue to do our work in Dallas, Texas, um, on a global scale. And we are a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, you asked about our mission, and, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, that our mission is to raise awareness about the importance of vision correction and protection in order to make good vision a global priority. That is not a small task. Um, We have a small team, but it is not a small job. Um, And I believe that our global team has made tremendous strides um, to elevate this conversation and advocate for changes that really do make correction and protection possible. Kudos to you and the entire team, because as you rightly mentioned, it is definitely not a small feat. It is is (laughs) the kind of impact uh, it has in everyone's daily life, which sometimes even though we are aware about it, could be, you know, overlooked because you are into it all the time. That's and right. as you rightly mentioned, you know, uh, how the founders of VII focused or realized that, you know, we are not giving it the importance which it should get. So talking about its main areas of focus, Christian, just to continue where you left, what are the areas of VII's focus? Oh, happy to tell you those. So we really, I mean, I think the most important thing to say is We believe that good vision is a human right. So we focus on several key areas that affect global populations the most. 
our work is grounded in evidence of the impact of uncorrected refractive errors. So we are a curator of data on top of being storytellers. Um, we focus on main areas like children's education, worker productivity, safe mobility or road safety, independence of the elderly. And honestly, we know that the key barriers to vision correction are awareness, acceptance, access and affordability. It's funny because most people would believe that affordability or access are the main barriers for global populations. Um, But because today eyeglasses are available at every price point and access is being created at such a rapid pace for everything, including online, we know that the lack of awareness is the problem. Like I have or my child has poor vision and acceptance of the solution that eyeglasses could fix that problem. These are the two main areas that we still have to overcome. And this is really why our mission is so critical. Absolutely. I actually uh, loved how you laid down, you know, all the different uh, important aspects of, of how uncorrected vision can impact one's life, whether it's a child, whether it is, you know, for mobility, whether it's for elders, everyone. But you really picked up on a very, very important and a crucial piece of awareness where came another mission, which is their part of your your organization, is creating awareness around the stigma of wearing glasses. That's right. As, as you rightly mentioned, you know, it's not always affordability or access. People in people are able to get glasses through, you know, various initiatives, but are they really using it or not? So talking about which I felt was very, very close to me when I when I actually saw it was the stigma around glasses. And Andrew, if you could, you know, share a little more insights about how were you able to discover this gap and what are we trying to do around it through VII? Sure. Um, so the we came up, we came up, we were able to discover the gap through multiple in, in multiple ways. Um, in some of our conversations with teachers and governments, parents, children, workers, um, this topic has bubbled to the top in, in many of those instances. Um, we've been working in India, for example, for several years on the road safety issue. Um, and their drivers told us that they feared not being hired if they were wearing glasses. So they, as an employee, they were looked upon as being a defective employee um, wearing the glasses, whereas, you know, if they're, you know, who's to know they're just on the road not being able to see that, that doesn't make them, um, you know, that doesn't really make them safe at all. Um, Absolutely. Um, so, so, so from our road safety work in India, we learned that we've, um, we've heard several stories from women um, in Africa, some of them even being some of our lead researchers, one, for instance, working at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and she um, she told us her story about how being a child, she was not wearing the glasses um, and she was bullied. Um, her parents did not did not approve of her wearing the glasses. And now she's a highly, you know, a highly reputable uh, researcher um, doing research on the topic. So um, so it's anecdotal stories like that. And then stories that um, have appeared to us in the news, for example, a couple of years ago, I say two years ago, there was a story that um, we we came upon in Korea, where mm-hmm. an, a news anchor was one, was the first anchor in the country to wear glasses on a news broadcast, and right. this is 2018 or so, so very recent. Um, and she 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 um, was exposed to a lot of criticism. There was obviously people who supported her, but it was an issue nonetheless. 
So right. this is from a very developed country. So the stigmas, um, especially for women, um, run the gamut wherever they are in the world. Uh, right, absolutely. I also do know that in talking about India, because that's where my background is, there are women uh, who would actually feel, oh, if I wear glasses, to a fact that, you know, people, I might not be able to get married because I have glasses. And I'm like, how that... <laughs> It's true. Two things related, like you know, you are a person wearing glasses is not uh, something which is where you're defective or it'll impact. But That's I have exactly that right. I have come across so many stories even back in my practice. But I, as I mentioned, you know, I never realized that hey, it's it's the stigma that is there in the society, and we should be working towards creating awareness that it is okay to wear glasses to begin with and you should wear glasses because without that you are defective not with it that's right <laughs> it's the solution and not the problem exactly um one other thing that i would throw in here too um is that you know in the united states we have so many cultures mm-hmm. um right. that in schools today we see um children who are coming to school and wearing their grandmother's glasses because the mom and dad know maybe that they need glasses, but they don't know that glasses are different for everyone's eyes. Or um, there are children who are not allowed to wear glasses because their parents still believe that eye exercises would take care of the problem. And that's in our public schools, even in the United States. So as Andrea said, this is a problem that's global. Um, It's not necessarily regional, although the specific type of stigma may be very different in each region. Right. But the underlying stigma is still present. And whether Absolutely. It's, and it's across the globe. And I, I definitely feel that it is fantastic how you have, you know, as an organization picked up and are working towards it. As you had mentioned, you know, you all are working on research and evidence-based, you know, practice on how you actually go ahead and approach the problem. If you could share some stats around, you know, what what came around when you started these initiatives? Well, I think um, in order to tackle the issue of stigmas, you really have to look at how big is the vision, the vision impairment problem and how does vision impairment affect people's lives on a daily basis? So, for example, from an education standpoint, 80 percent of what a child learns is visual. So a child who is not being allowed to wear a pair of glasses um, is missing out. Um, from, a worker produ- right. from a worker productivity standpoint, the loss, the global loss of productivity associated with vision impairment is estimated at $244 billion in U.S. dollars. So again, a worker who is not allowed to wear glasses, how is that impacting? You have to think, how is that impacting uh, companies? Um, from a road safety standpoint, 1.35 million road safety accidents happen on the road. How many of those people and how many of those accidents could have been prevented and, you know, whose mother could have returned home because someone else was wearing a glasses, pair of glasses and could see what was happening right in front of them. Um, from a gender equity standpoint, um, 55% of the people in the world who have, um, who with vision impairment are women. So these are, you know, obviously women that are running organizations, running homes, um, teaching children. How are the, all those people's lives impacted because that one woman cannot see? So it's, it's sort of a ripple. If that, these are giant numbers, but the ripple effect of one person not being able to see 
because of a, a barrier that we have a solution for um, is pretty powerful. Right. Absolutely. I Thank you for sharing those stats and those numbers are definitely scary and huge. But as you mentioned, it could be, you know, one life at a time, as you've rightly mentioned in your introduction. Uh, but yes, I definitely feel that these are the places of awareness and education, which we might have underlooked. So talking about, you know, now you have the stats, you know, this is the area of focus that you want to uh, make an impact. What have been your major hurdles? I would like to take this question for both of you individually to understand what, according to you, were the major hurdles in tackling or breaking these stigmas, focusing on maybe various cultures or various uh, experiences that you had. Kristen, if you could start, what, what, according to you, were your major hurdles? Um, I think more than anything, uh, it's about awareness. Um, awareness is absolutely key. The more we're able to educate others about the provision of correction and the benefits that ensue, um, the sooner we can really break down those stigmas in all areas. I think education, awareness, and advocacy, though, take a lot of time. And so when you look at, at hurdles, sometimes hurdles are about the relationship building. It's about, you know, continuing to talk to the same people. Um, if we're looking at changing uh, government policy and things like that, we have new government that comes in in all of our countries, you know, maybe every two years. And then you start over again with these um, awareness building and educating and, and all of that. Um, I think in some ways, you know, it's about consistency of message. And mm -hmm. the time that has to be um, really developed and then keeping everyone on board. So like having all of the key actors who are advocating for change, agreeing to the same message and um, agreeing to continue the discussion, even if it takes lots of time. Right, right. Absolutely. I can totally understand with the government changing how hard it would be for you to restart where you might have made so much progress, let's just keep going. But it's like, oh, not not really. That's right. <laughs> Two over. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Andrea, from your end, what has been major hurdles in breaking these stigmas in various cultures? I think one thing we have to look at, and this is not easy, is looking at the social background of any culture that we do, we are working in. Um, you know, in many places, um, women are less likely to consider their own health needs. Um, so they will advocate for anyone else in, else in their family to get treatment or um, yeah, treatment on an issue before they will, will take that on themselves. Um, in many countries, men are the head of the households and they are really, mm -hmm. then they're the ones making the decision about how, how the household resources are used. Um, so, right something, you know, a, a campaign to reach the men, um, to tell them why this is a important thing for the, for your wife or your daughters in this household to have access to. Um, I think that's, in, that's important too. So, you know, as I said, in the beginning, we're talking about the health, the issue of a certain health, the, his, the issue of vision health may not be a, just a vision health issue. Um, there are all these, um, socio-economic type um, issues in the background right. that also play a role in getting that person access to a pair of glasses. So there's cultural reasons that come into play. And as, and as I said, it's not, it's not easy, but it's, it's an issue 
that people in other areas of public health um, have to confront as well. But it is it is a barrier. Absolutely. Okay, one more thing to that too is is really reaching people where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So we we had a conversation uh, recently about road safety in India and truck drivers. And that truck drivers generally are not necessarily going online. They are probably not looking at their phones all day, but they're listening to the radio. So are, where are the channels that we can reach people? If we're trying to reach a consumer or a patient, mm-hmm. how do we reach them where they are? If we're trying to reach from a BII standpoint, most of the time we're trying to reach those people who are key opinion leaders and change makers. Are we reaching them where they want to be reached? And I think that's a critical a critical need as well, um, is really understanding the audience and how do we reach them in a way that will be most effective. Right. Absolutely. I love both the points that you've made. One, of course, reaching to the audience or your customers or your patients where they are uh, and reaching out to your message which is most relatable to them. And Andrea, what you mentioned uh, regarding women, I really liked that you might need to start educating the men because mm-hmm. as you mentioned, understanding the cultural differences in, you know, across the globe, men could probably have an additional impact of, you know, what we're trying to achieve here in vision care or healthcare overall. So I think those are a couple of very important and interesting facts that you shared. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, now, talking about, you know, my audience, which is mainly optometrists or, you know, eye care providers, according to you, how do you think they need to contribute towards these efforts? So I'll take that question. Um, first of all, uh, the optometrist is the frontline advocate for healthy vision, hands right. down. Um, and I think that there's a huge opportunity, um, but with opportunity comes responsibility that Mm -hmm. your patient who's sitting in front of you wants to be educated, wants to understand why they need eyeglasses or why these will be beneficial. And I think sometimes, you know, there's a focus on the health aspect of it, which absolutely is incredibly necessary. But maybe if an optometrist is also willing to share personal experiences or those of other patients who've been successful as a result of correcting their vision, um, it adds a different layer to this and it's a more human layer. Um, It will help us to continue to break down barriers. What I'd love to see is that the eye doctors around the world continue raising their voices outside their practices, whether it's Mm -hmm. in their own families, like you've said, or their neighborhoods, their schools, their governments for the benefits of good vision and helping to lead the charge to elevate that priority of vision care around the world, because we need you. (laughs) We have four people on our team. We need you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, I really liked how you mentioned, you know, humanizing the message by sharing actual stories. That's the way how you can reach out to uh, like, you know, the mass that that's right. That's that's so that's all right. Uh, Andrea, do you want to add anything here? Um, I think I would tag on to that. Um, I say, you know, realize as an eye care professional that you are a role model as a person to tag on to what Kristen was saying. You know, if you're a female eye care professional, you have a, a different platform than a male eye care professional does. And you could be a role model to that little girl coming in or the mom of the girl coming in to to assure her that this is the best solution for for herself or for her child. Or if you are the parent, you are a parent using that personal um, experience to, um, to again, 
you know, share why this is a necessary solution. So I think using your personal story, being a role, not only a role model as an eye care professional, but a role model as a woman or as a parent um, can go a long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, I love that too. Thank you so much for sharing that because as you, as you rightly mentioned, we are like the frontline workers and we are actually in contact with the direct consumer or the patient and we can make direct impact. So educating Absolutely. at that level, at the uh, ground level, would be really, really important. And a message to all optometrists, make sure you educate and promote and make wearing glasses as essential it is even cool because that's where I feel uh, the stigma could, you know, be away if, it, if everyone starts feeling wearing glasses is a cool thing to do and it's not a defect. I think it will definitely be a, a lot more easier for people to adapt it. Absolutely. All right. Now we did talk a lot about, you know, uh, your journey about the work done at VII, the stigma. Now I'm going to take both of you to my fun segment, which I call Rapid Fire, <laughs> where I'll be asking <laughs> fun questions uh, to both of you. And, you know, there's just one rule. The minute I ask the question, whatever is the first answer that comes to your mind, just that's what you need to share. So um, okay. are you ready for it? Yes. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I'll go. All right, Kristen. So my first question, if you were not in the eye care space or a healthcare space, which other profession do you feel you would be in? Oh, that's easy. I would um, be working uh, for women who are um, in the space of domestic violence. Oh. I have a personal story with this and uh, my personal history allows me to be able to just open a dialogue with women who are in that area and also understanding at this moment mm -hmm. um, just the fact that, you know, with a shutdown around the world, this is a very elevated cause right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, taking to a little fun side, which is your favorite destination? Um, I would have to say Coco Plum Island in Belize. Mm -hmm. And that's very specific, but that's it. <laughs> Well, that I think people need to add that to their uh, list of you know can, uh, destination to visit. Wonderful! It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Uh, your favorite cuisine? Um, wow, Mexican. I'm sorry, I'm from Texas. Tex-Mex is it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. If uh, you were able to interview a guest, or okay, dead or alive, who would that be, and what question would you ask? Oh, wow. That one's a tough one. Um, I don't have an answer for that one. I wish I, you hadn't asked me that. <laughs> um, I, Any celebrity you wow. want to interview or your mentor or someone? Yeah. Um, you know, from my faith background, I would say I would want to, um, I would actually want to interview Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, um, because I just would want to ask her, like, how was he as a kid? I'm the mom of three sons. Um, and I just would love to have this, this answer to go, wow, was he just really great? Or was he really terrible? <laughs> Wonderful. Last question. If you were to add or change something in the optometry curriculum or the way things are being taught, what would that be? I think the only thing that I would really want to change is the way that optometry and ophthalmology mm -hmm relate to each other. 
Um, because I think we both, you know, both optometry and ophthalmology have such uh, unique propositions, but they overlap and they overlap mm-hmm. at the patient level. Um, and if we actually are super <laughs> in our roles and actually caring about the patient, um, the, the limitations or the extensions of our roles wouldn't be quite as important. Um, what I, I say that because of the way that we advocate for children's vision in the U.S. is an eye exam before children enter kindergarten. Um, and we get a lot of pushback mm. from one side or the other on this advocacy, which I think if we just all stood together, we would have a bigger, stronger voice. Wonderful. With that, we do end our rapid fire. Thank you so much for playing along. Thank you. Uh, all right. Andra, are you ready for your fun rapid fire segment? I think so. <laughs> all right. Wonderful. So uh, first question still remains the same. If you were not in the eye care or healthcare nonprofit segment, which other profession or role do you see yourself in? Um, I would be working for an organization that helps women and girls, I think, somewhere on the African continent. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm very fascinated with, you know, Africa has this narrative that it, there, that's not always positive. Like there's, po- there's a lot of poverty and there's wars and fighting and yes, and there's corruption and yes, some of that stuff goes on, but I'm very interested in helping to like change that narrative. And I think you can do it individually through individual women and girls so that they can actually be the catalyst for making that change. So I know that's kind of like a like a circular kind of solution, but I'm, I'm very interested ultimately in that narrative being changed about the continent. Wonderful. I really like how both of you are so uh, close to, you know, changing and impact and you, and I also strongly believe that women can make a better impact. So like, yes. we'll make sure that the, we focus on women and then, you know, the family will follow. <laughs> you bet. I agree. <laughs> right. There is actually a saying in India where if you teach a mother or a woman, an entire family learns. But if you teach a man, only one person learns. So, oh, wow. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> right. Going to our next question. Which is your favorite cuisine? Um, fries. <laughs> I could have answered that one for her. I never, I never eat them. It's just because I would just be out of control. And so if given the opportunity, you know, I always tell my husband, are you going to get the fries? And he's like, no. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> what, what is your hobby or something that you like to do during your downtime? Um, I'm pretty active. Um, I like to run. Um, if I had mountains here, I would climb them. Um, I like to hike. I've, I've done Kilimanjaro. I've done Machu Picchu. So I like to be out. I like to be outside and free. That's wonderful. All right. If we were to write an autobiography about your journey, what would you like to title it? Oh, oh, that's hard. Um, um, maybe something like she believed she could, so she did. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually liked it. Again, uh, my last question, if we were to add or change anything in the eye care optometry curriculum, what would you do? I'm not that familiar with the curriculum, but if there is not um, some type of education, you know, regarding 
the outside world beyond optometry. So, you know, back to the socio, you know, this is, these are some of the barriers you might come up against socioeconomically. Um, I think that would provide a well-rounded, well-rounded education to people because yeah. because a person does not exist in a vacuum and they're dealing with all these other things. So I think if, if that could be added to the curriculum, if it is not, then that would be a benefit. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing and playing this uh, quick rapid fire with me. I hope it was fun for both of you. And before I let you go, I would like to take a one last question for you. What is your takeaway message? Uh, let me start with Kristen. Kristen, what's your takeaway message for my listeners? You know, it's funny, we've kind of talked around it the whole time that we've been on the podcast today. But one of my all time things that I would love to say to every person on the planet is that eyeglasses do not tell the world you're defective. Eyeglasses tell the world you're your most effective self. And that would be it. Loved it. Loved it. Awesome. Andrea, your take of a message for my listeners. I mean, it's something similar to Kristen's, but I think that um, being able to see really can help you achieve your potential or if you know if, if it's your child's your, your child's potential um it, it it can it can really um elevate a person to achieve what they what they're destined to achieve so true thank you so much both of you for getting on this uh on this podcast and being a guest i do know that you've been really busy with all your initiatives and the work you're doing but i really appreciate you coming on this podcast and sharing your journey and talking about one of few of the most important topics in vision and eye care that you all are working on thank you so much for all your efforts all the hard work and creating this awareness uh throughout the globe i really appreciate your time and you know sharing your insights Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's been so much fun. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.